Okay, good morning, church. I bring you greetings from the Garden State, New Jersey. For those that are visiting, uh, my name is Russ Murdoch, and uh, I serve as one of the ministers in the New Jersey region of the church. And uh, I just got to say, there is just nothing like the singing here in Harlem. Nothing, nothing like it. I do want to thank you, though, if you're visiting with us, that you chose to come and worship with us this morning. And uh, I pray that you engage in our service and look into the word and be inspired and walk away with something that's going to help you in your walk with God. I do want to thank the Warrens for inviting me out. I know James, uh, you know, is down. Let's keep him in our prayers. You guys really have a treasure in in, uh, James and Zalika Warren serving you here. I hope you feel that way and you express that. But, you know, every Sunday you come to church and you see this and you see all this stuff. It's not possible if you didn't have an AV team and People getting here early to set up. And let's just give Amari and Manny and, and, and uh, uh, Charmin, let's give them a hand. And again, say thank you uh, because that really, really uh, is something special. Now, if you have ever served in the preteen, young teen camp, I want you to stand up for a second. Come on. If you served at any time, you came to camp, you were a counselor, you worked in the kitchen, I want to say thank you. You guys don't understand. Well, you do understand that count. It's not easy. But uh, you're invested in our future. And uh, I'm just so, so uh, thankful for that. And, you know, sometimes... In life, you have to take a moment to just step back and appreciate what God has done. Okay? Look at that. You know, this year, we're going to celebrate our 23rd year in marriage. Last year, Daddy's little girl... Became a disciple on Mother's Day. This year, uh, that's my son and his best friend. They were uh, selected to the all-star team for their, uh, you know, to represent our town in in a basketball league. And, um, you know, he's doing well there. Last year, there's my grandma Murdoch, turned 91 years young in November. And yes, she is a Steelers fan. That's where I, I got it from there. But I want you to look at this for a second. 1991, I actually became a Christian in 1990. And this was our little ragtag group campus ministry. And it was probably at the time where when Sari and I left to lead the church in Jersey City, there was probably about 35, 40 college students in the former metro region. Well, 26 years later, look at us. Years, people got married and a whole lot of kids. 
I look at that and I stop and say, God, look at what you've done in my life. I don't deserve your grace and your goodness. And I, I want to say, if you can tend to sometime not smell the roses, if you can tend sometime to get caught in the grind and the grit and the day-to-day life, you've got to take a moment and reflect and look at what God has done in your life. Look at all the amazing blessings that he's poured out in your life. And sometimes we can get so steeped in ourselves, we need somebody else to help us to see how good God has been to us. And that's always a great thing. Make that list. And then you sit down and you just thank God. I think that's part of the reason I like to take pictures, is to be able to remember moments, to be able to remember times, to be able to go back into those, you know, times in in, in, uh, life and just remember, remember what was going on there, remember what it was like. I really appreciate it, a couple that shared in the communion about just, hey, it's a struggle sometimes. But we constantly need to remember. That's why God gave us his word. So that we can go back to it every day. And it's like being rejuvenated. It's like being renewed. You know, I want, to, I want you to look at a few scriptures here with me this morning. Because I'm not sure how you're feeling today. But whether you're feeling good or you're feeling bad or you're feeling sad or you're feeling mad... I want you to focus for a minute on our God. Psalms 103, verse 13. The Bible says, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. You know, if you start on any point on the earth and you go north, you will eventually hit the North Pole. And then you start going south. But you know what? That's never, ever true when you go east and west. If you start west and continue in that direction, you will always be going west. And the Bible says that God so removes our sins as far as east is from the west. He's saying that he's removed them from and an uh, infinite dis- distance from us. It's, again, it's really hard to just even understand, but those two points never meet. And he's trying to help you and I understand that if we're in Christ, that his love and his grace is total and complete and unconditional. He's not keeping score, and he doesn't treat us as our sins deserve. Isaiah 38, verse 17. Isaiah 38, verse 17. Surely it was for my benefit that I suffered such anguish. In your love you kept me from the pit of destruction. You have put all my sins behind your back. Church, when somebody puts something behind your back, can you see it? No. No. You can't see it. 
No more. It's as if it's gone. God says that's what I do with your sin when you're in Christ. Does that mean God ignores our sins? Is he like the permissive father who lets his kids go wild and undisciplined? Not at all. But God deals with our sins, but only in such a way as for our good. He puts them behind his back. And if a holy God can put our sins behind his back, who are we to not forgive? Who are we to keep records of wrong? Colossians chapter 1, verse 21 it says, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. You know, I struggle with this from, from time to time because I don't always see myself the way God sees me. Do you see yourself this way, without blemish, free from accusation? Or do you often go around guilty, 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 condemning your own self because you just maybe don't quite totally understand this thing called grace? You know, if you made Jesus Lord of your life, you repented, was baptized into Christ, then all of the expressions of God's forgiveness that we just looked at are true for you. Every single day you get up, you get to start over, fresh, new. He's put your sins behind your back. He doesn't count them against you. You are blameless in his sight and considered righteous and innocent. And the way he sees Jesus is the way he sees you. Are you willing to live that way, believing that every single day? Because the reality is, what Jesus did on that cross, that's exactly the position that we're in. Not because of our discipline and quiet times and our sacrificial giving and teaching and serving and all of the other things that we do. It's all because of what Jesus has done up on that cross. Now, if you have not made Jesus Lord of your life, if you've not surrendered your will to his will, then I want to encourage you to consider something. Why not? Maybe that maybe you're thinking, I got to I got to earn my way. You know, maybe you're thinking that a right relationship with God means that your good outweighs your bad. And maybe you're thinking, well, listen, I'm not that bad of a person. I mean, I'm not doing this. I'm not doing that like everybody else. I pay my taxes. You know. Or maybe you're one of these young people that's grown up in the church. And you're saying, well, you know. I don't see the greatest example, so I haven't decided to make Jesus. I don't know if I want to do that. You know, we can't, if we're thinking that way, use other people's sin for why we don't follow Jesus. 
that's not a good excuse. Satan wants us to use excuses. He wants us to believe things. He wants us to think, hey, you know what? Take your time. You got plenty of time. The reality is we don't know how much time we have. And I want to encourage you, if you haven't made him Lord, that today you would consider changing your mind. Because we have a great and awesome God that loves us in a way that we can't even understand. But I pray that today we'll get a bigger and better picture of who he is and decide to put all of our heart, all of our hope, all of our trust in him and see the great relationship that he has in store for us. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we again thank you so much for giving us this opportunity to come to you. Father, I pray as we study your word right now that we would focus our attention on what you have to say to us. Father, thank you so much for your grace. Thank you so much for your incredible blessings that you give over and over and over again. And Father, sometimes we stop, we don't even stop to thank you for these things because we're so busy in taking care of the next thing. I pray, Father, that we can meditate, that we can reflect, and that we can focus on you, and that you fill our hearts with gratitude because of your grace and your goodness. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 20. And I've kind of renamed this the parable of grace. All right? Parable of grace. Let's read this together. And uh, I'm going to make a couple of points and continue. Matthew chapter 20, starting in verse 1. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers in his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius, which was for, uh, you know, considered one day's work. That's what a denarius was. For the day and sent them to his vineyard. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard and I will pay you whatever it is, whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. About five in the afternoon, he went out and, and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they replied. They answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going, to, going on to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and received a denarius. So when they came, so when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired last Worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, 
I'm not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Yeah. Well, take your pay and go. I like that. Well, you just get your pay and go on home. I want it. <laughs> he says, I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? The parable of grace. You know, prior to this parable, Jesus has just spoken to the rich young ruler. And then, you know, we've read that story before. And he challenges this man to give up half his possessions and give to the poor and come follow him. And what does the man do? He goes away sad because his heart was all about the money. And Jesus hit him right there in the heart to see if the very thing that he loved, he was willing to give up. And he wasn't willing to do that. So he went away sad. But that's what happens when we want to follow God. God's going to go for the heart. He's going to go for the heart. And it's for our uh, benefit. But then Peter then says, well, Lord, we've left everything to follow you. What then will that be for us? And see, Peter, you got to understand, he has a Jewish mentality. He's thinking the way that a Jew thought in that day. I do this, I get this. If I do this, then I get a reward. And Peter's like, hey, where, <laughs> my reward, Lord? I mean, hey, we've given up everything to follow you. But Jesus' reaction to Peter, I love it, because he didn't rebuke him. He didn't get mad at him. He didn't say, oh, you ingrate. What, what do you mean? Don't you trust me? No, instead he says he reassures him there will indeed be a reward for him and the other disciples. Not only that, but everyone who is sacrificed for Jesus' sake will receive a hundred times as much. In this age and in the age to come. You know, I say that's a pretty doggone good investment right there. A hundred times. See, Jesus is telling you and I that God's reward is out of proportion to our service and our sacrifice. God's reward system is not based on good works, but it's based totally on grace. And grace always gives far more than we have earned. You know, in that time and day, in the labor culture of the day, the workers needed the money to buy food for their families. You know, they lived a day-to-day -day existence. And in this parable, the landowner, if you think about it, the landowner was not just fair with the workers. He was progressively more generous with each group. Because he wasn't getting what he started out with, saying, hey, I'm going to give you a denarius for you today. 
based on working those 10 hours. He then went back and he says, hey, I'm going to give you a denarius. You're only going to work seven hours. You're only going to work six hours. You're only going to work three hours. Hey, and you, the 11th hour guy, you're only working an hour. Now, I'm sure you and I would have been fired up if we would have five o'clock people. But, you know, look back here at our story. Because sometimes we get things a little twisted. Look at verse 8. It says, When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to the foreman, Call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones, and uh, once hired, and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and received the denarius. So when those who were hired first saw this, they expected what? More. And so you got to imagine, you're, let's say you're that guy that was there 5 a.m. in the morning. You're there in the beginning. You get your job, and you're out there, and you work in a vineyard. And then it gets hot. 9 o'clock. The sun just kind of perks out. And, and now, you know, you, you take that robe off because it's, it's starting to, you know, sweat. And, and, and now it's 12 o'clock. And you got to get something on your head because... You know, the heat is coming down on you. Take a little lunch break or whatever they had back in the day. And now you're going through and, I mean, at the end of the day, you're dirty, you're tired, and you've been working hard. And you're in the line, and the foreman says, okay. Workers, come on up, line up. I want those, the, the guys who were here first or last to get to the front of the line. So you're like, okay, they changed some things up here. Um, all right, I'll just wait. And then you notice and you see the foreman, he's getting the denarius and boom, he's like, was that a denarius? He got a denarius. He was only here five. And so, and excitingly, you're like, oh, okay. And so now you're getting more excited because you realize if he's getting a denarius and he only worked an hour, I'm getting hooked up today. I... I'm getting, I don't know who this guy is, but I'm coming back tomorrow because this guy is the man. And so as the line goes, and you're seeing more, he got in there, he got in there, and then you get there. And he goes, okay, here you go. Here's your denarius. What is this? Your denarius. This is what we agreed to. But, but well, well, what about such and such over here? He got a denarius and he only worked an hour. And this one over here, he only worked two hours. And he only worked three hours. And now, that joy that you had 25 minutes ago is gone. It's gone. And now disappointment Bitterness, 
anger? I mean, you ever been next to somebody that's grumbling? Complaining? Grumble. It's like, what? You don't even, I don't, when I'm like that, I don't want to be around me. But grumbling. And they already made an agreement. What are you grumbling for? But see, they thought to themselves, because we were here longer, we worked harder, we deserve more. You know, two years ago, I studied the Bible with my uncle who was dying from cancer. Remember reading this story to him, and he said, That ain't fair. You work, you get paid, you know, you do more. And, you and I said, Yeah, Unc, I, I'm with you. I said, But it all depends on who you see yourself as in the story. So you know who that laborer was that started early and worked all day? That's not you. That's not me. That's Jesus. Now, he didn't complain and grumble, but he was there from the beginning. Who we are, we're the 11th hour worker. That's who we are. We're the ones that's getting what we do not deserve. We're the ones that's really overpaid. We got blessings after blessings that's been poured out into our lives, and we don't deserve it. But yet, we don't even realize it. Because sometimes we can get so stuck and so entrenched in us that we can't see what God's done. I remember explaining this, you know, to my uncle further, and, and you know, he kind of got it. But, you know, he gets baptized six days later. God takes him away. On the glory. Uncle Roy. But the point is, you and I are the 11th hour workers. We don't deserve what God's given us. But yet sometimes we can complain and get stuck. And it's because of one reason. And this is a killer to anyone's gratitude. Are you with me, church? You want to you hear how to deal with ingratitude? You want to hear how to, how, to, how to be more content and thankful and keep it rather than letting it go? Stop comparing with other people. What kills our gratitude to God himself and what kills our gratitude to others is comparisons. We're comparing all the time. Comparing rarely and 
enjoys what it has. You can go literally buy a new car and be all fired up until that other Maserati or whatever comes rolling by and now you feel small. Sometimes we can get obsessed because we see what somebody else has has, and then we focus on what we lack. And if you give in to comparing like this, say bye-bye to gratitude. Because it's just flown out the window. Comparing or comparison is a thief and a killer. Comparing robs our gratitude, contentment, and the worst part, as disciples, it destroys our joy. And you know, sometimes when you're not joyful, you're not generous. Not only don't you give your money, you don't give invitations to other people that really, really need it. You don't give time to other people that really, really need it. And it's amazing. When you're feeling blessed and you're seeing God work in your life, well, man, you want to you share and give to other people. You're just more generous when you see it that way. And the reality is that is the way we are. Comparing is an enemy of enjoying God's grace. Church, let's not let it into our hearts. I know Satan tempts me often to be problem-focused so I stop seeing the blessings of God. You know, as I shared, you know, some of these videos, I mean, my daughter became a Christian last year. One of my cousins became a Christian the same month. You know, I'm going to share something with you, and I want you to keep it under wraps. But when I was a young Christian, or when I became a disciple, my parents were uh, both divorced. They were, they were divorced, and uh, neither was a disciple. In 2006, my dad finally became a Christian after 16 years. And then in 2009, my mom became a Christian, and they both never remarried. The next summer, Sarah and I go out on a double date with them. It was like the Twilight Zone. <laughs> I could not believe what in the world was going on. Because my parents were there, and they were, like, smiling at each other, and they were having a good time, and it was like, what? You know, just uh, recently, they decided that they're going to reconcile. That's what they decided. And so I've been praying that, Lord, you would let me marry my parents again right now again you got to figure this out you know when you come from where we were and what i seen going on in our lives and now these two people are talking about getting back together and they want to do it the right way and they're asking questions and my dad sought advice from me last weekend i was like what (laughs) and then i was down in nashville and my mom called me up and she's like honey I, i gotta talk to you Something going on. I got to talk to you. And I'm thinking somebody died or something, you know, in the family. And she's like, oh, I got to tell you about this dream I had. And, and I'm like, okay. And she's talking to me about my dad. And I'm like, 
is this really going to happen? This is crazy. But you know what? He can do immeasurably more than you ask or imagine. He can do it. He can do it. But here's the thing, church. We got to keep the right perspective. You and I got to remember where we came from. If there is nothing else other than the salvation that we have, that should be enough. When you think about where you came from and look at where God has brought you to and understanding that he's got a purpose wrapped up in your life, your family, your friends, your neighborhood. He has a purpose wrapped up in it. But sometimes we're walking around and we can't even see it. As I said, Satan, he sometimes he, he gets me, man. He gets me. The other day, you know, we finally paid this van off, which I never thought was going to happen. You know those payments, and, and I got the letter, paid in full. I was so fired up, took that title down to DMV, and they were like, what are you here for? I'm like, it's paid in full. Take that name off of there, because I own it now, right? I was all fired up. And then I get a phone call about an issue with a small group. And then I got another phone call, and this brother steps out of leadership. He doesn't want the responsibility because he's struggling. He's overwhelmed. He wants to do this. Then my wife, uh, or, or, or one of our best friends, they find out that uh, the wife has cancer, breast cancer, and now she's got to go through chemo. Then my, the next day, my, my other friend, his mom dies. And, and then to, you know, make it even worse, I have a bump because my wife was trying to, you know, help me out with something that I didn't really, really want to see at the time. And the joy goes away. What happened to all of the other stuff? I can't see it because I'm focused on the issues. Can you relate? We need a steady dose of grace to keep our perspective. I've been saved by the blood of the Lamb. I have God's favor, and He is with me. I want to ask you to turn your Bibles to Titus chapter 2. Titus 2. One point I want to make this morning, we've been saved by grace if we're in Christ. And that is awesome. Second thing... It's because we've been saved by grace. We need to be eager to do what is good. Titus chapter 2, verse 10. Let's read this together, and then I want to share one thing and then close it out. Titus chapter 2, verse 10. Actually, verse 11. It says, For the grace of of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodly and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. Uh, I'm sorry. 
verse 12, let's read that again. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, up, upright, and godly lives in this present age. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. God's grace, if understood correctly and properly, should create in us a desire to do good, but also a desire to avoid and say no to ungodliness, to sin, to worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright lives. Guys, God has done so much for you and I. And sometimes we just need to stop and we need to remember. Well, I know most of you know uh, uh, Joey and Margaret Warren. You guys know them? You know Gene and Faith Genty? You heard of those, you heard of those guys? You know Shamir and Ayana? What about um, uh, Franklin and Marie? You, you guys know them? Good people. Next slide. You see this couple right here? About a year and a half ago, they were met by uh, a sister here in Harlem. She had a party. They came to the party. Uh, I believe the Warrens were there and the Genties were there and, and my, um, the um, uh, Stevens were there. And they connected because they lived in New Jersey. Well, this past October, he got baptized, and then he turned around and baptized his wife. Now, we hadn't seen that in New Jersey in about 10 years. And I just thought, wow, these guys, as busy as their lives are, have found the time to give and do some good. And then that's what happened. Let me ask you a question. Who needs to hear the good news in your neighborhood, at your job, in your family? Who needs to hear it? Who needs some grace and some understanding? That God actually has a plan for their lives. Because I tell you, Jazz and Lashari, boy, they are so thankful and grateful. Because they got to hear the good news. And they got to hear the message. And man, now they're doing great. Now they're on the right path. Because they heard the message. Let's remember, church, we are the 11th hour worker who's been given way more than what we've earned or deserve. God has gone above and beyond and met our needs. He's given us the forgiveness of our sins. He's given us his church 
His Spirit, His Word. And to come eternal life. When we hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. Come and share in my happiness. And that we get to one day see Jesus face to face. And say, thank you, thank you, thank you. Let us seek after him and be a people of his own, very eager to do what is good because we serve a generous and gracious God. To God be the glory. Amen.